morning's reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 4. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region, in the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Please be seated as we pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. Well, November 18th, 2001 is a day that I hope I never forget. It started out like any other day. I woke up, it was a Saturday. And I went to the movies with my friend Samantha. Monsters, Inc. had just come out, so we went to see Monsters, Inc. in theaters. It was very exciting. And after that, that night, we had planned to have a sleepover. And we planned it on this particular Saturday night because there was to be a huge meteor storm that night. And so about 2 a.m., her mom woke us up and bundled us up with lots of blankets around us and took us outside. A big perk to growing up in rural Baldwin County is we could see the sky and the stars really clearly. But this night was unbelievable. We stood up there for about an hour, bundled up, and watched as the meteors ran across the sky, lighting up the dark places. And it was absolutely magical. And again, a day I don't think I will ever forget. Another day I hope that I never forget was August 21st, 2017. This was the Great American Solar Eclipse, and I imagine that many of you went outside to see this light phenomenon. I was living in Atlanta at the time, so we were really close to the band where it would be a total solar eclipse, just for a few moments. And so during class time, we all went outside, and one of the deans of the college had made a um, pinhole projector so that we could see the moment safely, you know, without looking directly at the sun, when the moon came in front of the sun and cast a dark shadow over all of the earth that was affected by that exact moment. It was really, really incredible to see this, again, light phenomenon, this thing that only happens every once in a while. And I've always been fascinated by astronomy and the way that the light and dark contrast each other in these situations. But there are lots of places where the light and dark are contrasted and even and especially in our church. I'm reminded most recently of our Christmas Eve service, when we all were given candles and we started with one candle, and from that one light, the entire room was lit, 
And we carried the candle, the light of Christ, out with us, remembering that the light, Jesus, had been born and had come to dwell in our world. And then, on Monday, Thursday, in a few months, we will start with all the lights on in the service. And as the service progresses, we will slowly dim the lights to remember that Jesus' death has happened and we have to wait again for the light to come anew. For a long time, light has been a way to demonstrate the presence of God in our world. And so this morning, we are in our final week of our series called Epiphany. And this morning, we're going to talk about Jesus as the great light that we've all been waiting for. We started our series on January 12th, talking about how the Magi, the wise men, followed a great star to find Jesus. And they brought him gifts, and that was their epiphany, was that he is here. And then, two weeks ago, we had a Remember Your Baptism service as we remembered the Lord's baptism. And we talked about how Jesus came to John and said, John, I need you to baptize me. But John was a little hesitant because John had been baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins. He did this telling people, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so, after Jesus was baptized, John continued to baptize people, telling them that the kingdom of heaven was near. And it's likely because of all these baptisms and because of the proclamations that he was arrested. And this is where our scripture picks up this morning. Jesus returns to Galilee after John has been arrested. And in a passing of the baton moment, Jesus continues the work that John had been doing. He begins telling people, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Of course, we know that Jesus was much more than a prophet. He was much more than a teacher. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Jesus is the light and revelation of God on earth. The Gospel of Matthew begins with the portrayal of Jesus as the one rooted in Judaism. He is the Messiah whose lineage emanates from the Jewish patriarch, Abraham, Father Abraham. And this is why in chapter 1 of Matthew, there's a list of names. It's called genealogy. And it can seem kind of boring, and you can wonder, why is this necessary in our holy scriptures? But for Matthew, it was really important for us to understand, for readers of all time, to know that Jesus was the one they had been waiting for. And he does that by showing us, from Abraham all the way to Jesus, the lineage, how we got here. There are two territories mentioned in this text by Matthew. And again, this may seem like a boring thing to bring up, the two territories of Zebulun and Naphtali. But this is important. Context is always important. Zebulun and Naphtali were the two northernmost tribes of Israel. So anytime someone invaded their land, they were the first to receive the brunt of it and to bear the destruction after they left. When the Assyrians overran Israel, they annexed these two tribes, cutting them off from their family, their lands, everything they had known. And so these are the people and the places that Isaiah is speaking to. In the text that Luciana read for us earlier, you might have noticed those territories were mentioned there too. Matthew is pulling from that Isaiah scripture to say, remember the darkness that you've been sitting in. And they're like, of course we do. It's been dark for a long time. Well, he tells them one day the light will come and the light will outshine the darkness. So certainly Zebulun and Naphtali are not the only two places that will experience darkness. Darkness in the sense of not knowing the truth about the light of Christ, 
In darkness as in fear and anxiety in the face of uncertainty in this life. So we too, thousands of years later, desperately need to believe in God's power to bring light to even the darkest of situations. You know, all of this darkness and light imagery reminds me of a haunted house that I used to go to in Atlanta with friends. And it reminds me of a very specific haunted house that was actually an old abandoned home that was turned haunted for the month of October. And I think this house would be scary on its own, but when you add the fog machines and the strobe lights, people chasing you with chainsaws, you know, lots of things that make you really cry out in fear. It's really, really scary. But I found myself thinking about how if I went to this same house outside of October, and I went there at noon on a Tuesday, it would not be nearly as scary as it is when you're inside, you know, you're waiting in the big line of people to go inside, and there are obstacles coming at you, people chasing you, clowns trying to scare you, you climb over a big glass thing with snakes inside, all sorts of scary things. But if you went to the same exact house at noon on a Tuesday in November, I don't think it would be nearly as scary. Because haunted houses use darkness to instill fear in people, in addition to the music and, you know, the creepy things. But the truth is that light brings things into perspective. When we have light, we can see where people are hiding, ready to jump out and scare us. We can see clearly that there are speakers playing spooky music, not creepy ambiance. And we can see the path that's clearly laid out in front of us. Because in the light, truth is exposed. In life, there are many situations and circumstances that can be totally, totally terrifying, way scarier than a haunted house. Job loss, the death of a loved one, financial instability, threat of war, division swirling in our country and in our denomination, many things that can make us cry out in fear and make us run and hide. But when we shine the light of Jesus on those things, we can see so much more clearly. And it's not that light makes the darkness go away, but light helps us see things in perspective. It brings more vision to ourselves and we can see more clearly what's going on. In the same way, God's presence doesn't always change situations we find ourselves in when we are afraid and we don't know what's coming next. But God's presence does remind us that we are never alone and that the light of death, the light of Christ, has outshined even death, the worst thing we could imagine in this life. The truth is that Jesus has come to live and dwell among us. The creator of all that we see is light. And so, because of his light and life, we too can carry that same flame, and so that others will see the light and love of Christ within us and be drawn to it. After Matthew tells the people that Jesus is the fulfillment of scripture, the one that Isaiah prophesied about, the light for all the world, he shows us what it means to be a follower of the light. Jesus begins walking along the Sea of Galilee and starts calling people to be his disciples. And what's interesting is they don't say, where are we going? How long will we be gone? May I go back and tell a couple people goodbye first? It says that they dropped their nets and they immediately followed him. You might say they were drawn like a moth to a flame. They were intrigued by the light. They wanted to know more. And so they followed Jesus. But 
We know from the stories of Jesus and his disciples that the light of Jesus and even the very presence of Jesus did not make evil, hurt, and fear in this world dissipate. There was plenty of persecution, doubt, betrayal, and lies within this intimate group of followers who were with Jesus, the light. Yet, even in the face of darkness, the light of Jesus continued to shine, giving the disciples vision. They could see the next step to take. They knew they were guided, guided as Jesus illuminated their path. And here's what I think is really cool. So at the beginning of the passage, Jesus kind of picks up the baton, and he continues to tell people about the kingdom of heaven, since John no longer can. And here we see Jesus kind of offers a baton to the disciples and says, come with me. I want you to fish for people. I want you to carry this light to tell people about the kingdom of heaven, which is coming near. And now we today have been given the same task as followers of Jesus, as lovers of the light of God. We too are given the task of telling people the truth about the kingdom of heaven, a place where love will defeat hate, a place where fears will become laughable, a place with no more wars, where peace will overcome hostility. Because the truth is that in the kingdom of heaven, light will overcome all darkness forevermore. After church today, more specifically, after the sermon, I will be making a quick exit to head to the airport. Mike and I are going to a young clergy forum in D.C. for four days with the General Board of Church and Society. And this is a United Methodist global board that meets, and they are dedicated to the work of living faith, seeking justice, and pursuing peace. This is a board that advocates for civil and human rights, women and children, economic justice, environmental justice, health, wholeness, and peace building. And they do all of this with the light of Jesus within them. They, ask, they look through scripture and our Wesleyan tradition, and they seek to shine light on places of the world where there is injustice, oppression, and hurt. So for the next four days, Mike and I will be in conversations with other young clergy from all over the country about what it looks like to live out our faith while seeking justice and pursuing peace. And this is something I would ask your prayers for, because if I'm honest, there are some things in life that I know are dark places, and I would rather just look away. I would rather close my eyes, because when you shine a light on something, you can't look away. You can't unsee what is hiding in the darkness. And so I know that these will be tough conversations, but necessary conversations, as I believe that I am called to shine the light of Christ in all that I do. But not just me, not just Micah, all of us who call Jesus Lord are called to shine the light that we've been given to all places where we find ourselves. And I can't say what this will look like for each of you, this all-in, shining your light discipleship, but I do hope that what will be consistent is that the love, grace, and mercy will shine through you so strongly that people are attracted to it and they want to know what is different. May we be so bold to let our light shine, knowing that Jesus shines from within us and that light will overcome all darkness. In the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.